This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. Jack Spillane is back with us this week. Jack, of course, is a columnist for the New Bedford Light, an online newspaper covering news in New Bedford and surrounding communities. You can read Jack's work at newbedfordlight.org. Good to see you once again, Jack. Always good to be here, Jim. You're continuing to write about the UMass uh, Dartmouth decision to close the Star Store campus in downtown New Bedford. In a recent column, you went after Chancellor Mark Fuller for what you say was exaggerations, the cost of renovating and repairing the Star Store building. Uh, Fuller talked about that cost being around $75 million. That was the number that was put out there. Uh, and one of the reasons why we can't, we don't want this building because it's just so costly to fix. Uh, what do you say about that? My story was based on Colin Hogan's reporting of a public records request that he did to the Division of Capital Asset Management that uh, yielded him what their 2021 and 2022 estimates were for the cost of the renovations to the Star Store, and it was $7 million. When the chancellor was, was asked by the media about the cost, he said 50 to $75 million. Colin went back to the chancellor and no, Colin then went to the tour of the building with Mark Champagne, the facilities manager of um, the city of New Bedford, the guy who's tasked with being in charge of what things cost. And he said, even if he did all the bells and whistles, he estimated about $17 million. Still a far cry from 50 to $75 million. Uh, then uh, Colin went back to the chancellor and said, where do you base this from? And the only thing the chancellor could say was, conversations, verbal conversations he had with DCAM. No estimates from a contractor, no study of what needed to be done, just conversations that he had. He did say that the green requirements of the state of Massachusetts make it much more expensive to renovate than it would have. But those are long-term renovations that can be done over the course of many years, not anything that has to be done immediately. So I wrote a column that questioned the credibility of the university using these kinds of numbers when there were alternative numbers to be had. And I also pointed out that when the chancellor announced the closure of the school, when it was not funded in the state budget, he never alerted either Senator Montigny or Mayor Mitchell that he was going to do that to see if there were alternative solutions to just closing the whole school down forever. Well, it was more than a year ago that you had written some columns about the word on the street, rumors, maybe more than rumors, that UMass Dartmouth was thinking about closing the Star Store. Yes, I had And that been, may have come from students or whatever. Well, it came from students and faculty. Um, uh, I, you know, I mean, the worries about the Star Store have been out there for a while. Yeah. Um, the university continued to say that they want to be in New Bedford, that they had hoped to be in New Bedford, but that when Senator Montigny did not fund the store, they just couldn't. Right. All right. Um, and Montigny, of course, said he wasn't going to fund the store because he was paying, the state was paying money to the owner of the property and no repairs, or very little repairs, had been done with that money. Well, he also said that I'll fund it if you take it for a dollar. And the university the first year, when the 20-year lease was up, refused to take it for a dollar. 
they said on the advice of DCAM. The second year, Governor Baker ordered them to take it for a dollar. They did take it, but they took it too late because Downey had a 60-day notification uh, requirement. They missed that notification, so it still hasn't been taken. And he said, once you take it, I'll fund it. It's really incredible that uh, folks in the UMass system um, seem to be so opposed to having a campus in downtown New Bedford. I mean, that kind of development happens all over the country. There, there are satellite campuses uh, in, adjoin, in adjoining towns or communities or cities uh, to large universities. I mean, what is the problem here? UMass Amherst, for instance, has a satellite campus all the way across the state in Newton yeah. that they just purchased for $75 million. Now, UMass Amherst is in much better financial shape than UMass Dartmouth, and there's a lot of reasons that, that are behind that, but but it just seems to me that there was a, that there is a win-win situation to be worked out, but the university, as Senator Rodericks has said, as Senator Montigny has said, as Mayor Mitchell has said, is not interested in negotiating. What's the benefit to New Bedford to have this building open again? I know that kind of the horses left the barn on this issue, but what were the benefits? I mean, they were substantial. Maybe not in the terms of uh, filling storefronts, but there was still a substantial benefit there. Well, as the mayor describes it, there was a, a benefit to having an anchor business in any downtown. And you can have housing, but you need to have an anchor business. There is the anchor business on the waterfront, the fishing industry, but that's a ways from parts of the downtown. That's what UMass was. It spurs restaurants, it spurs um, uh, uh, galleries and such, things like that. Uh, the um, other benefit is to the students of it in, in the enrichment of the life of the downtown. And the students are the other victims here because they have not been, according to them, supplied with uh, facilities that will enable to to um, adequately complete their courses. Now, you also reported that UMass President Marty Meehan was on the Dartmouth campus recently. I find that astounding. The press didn't know about it, right? No. Nope. didn't know about it. Didn't tell anybody. You would think he would have reached out to the local press and discussed the Star Store decision, and get his side of the story out, whatever that side is. Nobody knew he was there. He talked to a class, I think, and then he left. Poof. That's astounding. It, it is astounding during all this controversy that he would come to the area and, A, not visit New Bedford and speak to the people, even if he disagrees with us about what his thinking is, and, B, not even really, there were people at the university that didn't know he was there. He evidently comes periodically to speak to Doug Roscoe's political science class. I think Doug runs a class on legislative process, which, of course, me, and being a former congressman, knows a lot about. Yeah. And so that makes sense to me. But it just seems to me that if the president of the whole university system is coming here, you know, in the midst of this controversy, he might want to talk to the city of New Bedford. Well, and nothing yet from the governor on this issue. Governor has been quiet as a mouse. She says she's studying it. She says that she is aware of the complaints, but she has not really... Um, supposedly, 
according to Santa Martini's office, there are ongoing negotiations between DCAM and the university as to how they could do this. The mayor has offered for the city to own it so that the state will fund it through the city to have a nonprofit own it again, state funded. So the university could just lease it the way they've been leasing it from Downey. Sure. But from everything that I am hearing, the university is just plowing forward. Uh, we had a letter from Fuller in the light uh, a few weeks ago, and he didn't give any indication that he's trying to yeah. reconsider this or to work something out. Do you think this bodes, or how does this whole episode bode for the SMAS campus in the south end of New Bedford? Well, the SMAS... I don't know how you could replicate that in the Dartmouth, but... Yeah, the university says that they are committed to SMAS. Um, they said as, as recently as, as early this summer that they were committed to the CVPA. Mm-hmm. Um, the SMAS campus really benefits, obviously, from being near the water. They have that pier down there that, that, that you know, they, they, they go through things... Um, I think it also benefits from being in New Bedford and near the fishing industry. Sure. Um, I have heard that that there was even consideration for moving back there. I did not see anything about moving that back there in the, in the master plan. The master plan, by the way, said that the star store was fine for the next 10 years. That's the 2017 master plan. We're only in 2023, and now they're saying it needs all this work. By the way, the master plan called for the expansion of the CVPA building on the Dartmouth campus, <laughs> back okay. in 2017. All right, Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light is my guest. I'm Jim Phillips. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. Jack, we should touch on the election for just a bit. Once again, incumbents survive in the counselor-at-large race. It's really hard to knock one of these people out. It is. Even in a year like this, where there was a concerted effort you had some strong candidates. You had two former counselors, one who was in office the previous term, so a fresh name. You had uh, Devin Burns, a well-known businessman in the downtown who runs Destination Soups. And they came close in the preliminary election within 41 votes of Counselor-at-Large Naomi Connie and I think 60-something of Linda Morad. But in the final election, both Connie and Morad increased their lead to over 200 votes. There were twice as many people who voted in the final election. It went from 6% turnout to a 13% turnout. Still dismal, but a little better. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard in that at-large race where all you have to do to hold on to your position is finish in one of the top five positions on one ballot, one question, and all the incumbents by state law have to be listed first. And uh, there you go. I mean, that's all part of the challenge of trying to knock out an incumbent counselor at large. Uh, There is some uh, uh, changes, however, on the council. Uh, In Ward 1, Leo Choquette uh, knocked out Brad Markey. Yeah. The two wards that I have seen historically that tend to knock out their incumbents are Ward 1 and Ward 6. They are both, um, Ward 1 especially is a middle-class ward, Sections of Ward 6 are middle class. And um, if you don't um, do things to their liking, they tend to throw you out. We've seen that with a number of counselors in both wards. And um, uh, they also had the big parallel products uh, controversy. controversy. There was some dissatisfaction with Councilor Markey on that. And he was thrown out um, by a little more than 100 votes. So he he was competitive, but he lost. Um, In Ward 5, 
Uh, Scott Lima left that seat in Ward 5 to run unsuccessfully in the at-large race. Joe Lopes, a former Ward 6 counselor who was knocked out by Ryan Pereira a couple of years ago, uh, relocated in, into Ward 5, and he won that Ward 5 seat. Um, what does that mean for the council? Well, it, it, it means that that um, it's hard to... Um, I, I think Joe Lopes being, not as an incumbent, but as a familiar name, yeah. he was also running against a very progressive candidate in the well-to-do ward. Um, there was a controversy over sober houses, where uh, his opponent Zach Boyer took the the more progressive position that they have to they they can be allowed um, in these affluent neighborhoods. Um, Joe Lopes is a moderate counselor. Um, he was thrown out of Ward Six, I think, because there was a big effort by a prominent family uh, connected to prominent people in the city that funded him very well, and and there was some dissatisfaction with Lopes about constituent services, but it does not seem to have held over to Ward Five. Okay, so uh, Joe Lopes back on the council. Uh, Lopes of Lima, pretty much the same guy politically, don't you think? Yes, very, very similar. I would say Lopes may be a little more fiscally conservative, but uh, they're pretty much the same. All right, so we've got two, one new face, one familiar face who's back on the council. Any change in uh, how you see the council operating? Well, there's, there's a, a lot of bad blood between Councillors Morad and Councillor Abreu, and we saw that this week with um, Councillor Abreu walking out of a meeting at which he claims that he was insulted by Councillor Morad. She claims it was not that way, although she hasn't provided details. This um, bad blood on the council has been there the last few years, and, you know, I said on Tim's show this, uh, uh, it'll be last week now, sure. that, that um, if President Biden can meet with Xi Jinping, I think that we can have a summit between Councillor Morad and Councillor Abreu to try to talk out their differences and, and work a little more constructively together. Well, I would second that emotion. <laughs> I would second that emotion, sure. What are you most thankful for, Jack? Yeah, I'm thankful for my family, as always. I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this good work that we can do in New Bedford. I've had a, um, a very blessed life in many, many respects. And he's going nowhere. You'll be. You'll return. Don't worry, Jack. Uh, thanks very much. My uh, guest has been New Bedford Light columnist Jack Spillane. Thanks for stopping by. We will talk again in a few weeks. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Hang in there, everyone. Town Square Sunday will continue in just a moment.